0: We respond to your emails again, talking about the praise song cruncher and the attributes of the scripture from the Bible. Stay tuned for this edition of Table Talk Radio. A radio show that confesses Christ
1: without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, <laughs> Wait a minute. You're mistaken. Said to me, he said
0: you sound like a
1: heretic. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I,
0: I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, <laughs> Pastor Fleming. And it so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I'm in mean, Mega Crunch. So uh, you guys would put <laughs> mega the Mega crush. Crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious.
1: Well, you just ruined your New Year's resolution to listen to good podcasts. This is yes. Table Talk Radio.
0: That was... A- what about my New Year's resolution to only make good podcasts? Yeah, that's over, that's too. That's about to go down the tube right now.
1: Yep, that's done. So uh, any other New Year's resolutions you want to throw under cannot, there while, you, while we're at it? I wait
0: for you to read that church sign. <laughs> I'm still laughing. Let's hold, let's on hold off
1: side. on that. Oh, easy, easy. That's going to be so great. <laughs> and you know what's so great about the it? greatest of the not great church signs. It's not even a church sign. I can't wait. <laughs> what's oh. so great about it is that it's been sitting in our inbox since 2015, so we've been, mm-hmm. we've been missing out on this hilarity for two and a half years just by not reading our emails.
0: It's like finding a hundred dollar bill <laughs> in the couch cushions.
1: That's right, and you know it's been washed three times in your in your blue jeans, and now it's in your pocket or something like that. Yeah, that's that's well, I mean that'd be like being washed ten times in your blue jeans. It's been sitting there so long. But 2014.
0: Uh, my blue jeans have probably
1: only been through the wash twice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at today's lineup. We're going to be responding to some of your phone calls and emails. We're going to be talking about the praise song cruncher uh, and church sign and bumper sticker theology. So, Oh, and we're also talking about the attributes of scriptures per our listeners' email. So... Your emails, oh, as great. always, are ruling the show. So send them on in, questions at org. If you email now, we should get them by 2020. So I would recommend emailing uh, early. A, what, what year is it even now, 2018? That's a pretty <laughs> generous estimate. Yeah. It is. I, I set high goals. You know me. All right, so That's first we're gonna uh, hear. Oh, buzzwords! I forgot how to do the show. How yeah, you... what's the what's Don't your buzzword about the buzzword, Because I got a good one
0: for you. You ready? I am ready. My buzzword for you is mortification. Ooh, interesting. Did you could you have guessed that? Uh huh. Mortification. Mortification means to put to death. Theologically, we talk about mortification. It's mortifying the flesh. That means putting to death the sinful desires that we have. Now we, I, uh, my buddy. Uh, Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer was hanging around this week, and we were talking about. Wait a minute! This place, wait! a minute! Yeah. Wait
1: a minute! I thought he was your arch nemesis.
0: Also, arch nemesis. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We didn't play Bible Bee at all when he was when he was. Well, obviously, we let me guess. Was he staying at and, your house?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's why? why he didn't play Bible Bee. He'd be like, "Listen, why? Well, I mean, if it's at your house, you get a you get to set the rules, and uh, you're not going to want to play that with him." Now you go That's over to right, Ketchmeyer's house and he's when like, I go to "Listen, his house, he's
0: like, all right, let's play some
1: Bible." Yeah, beef. if you want <laughs> <laughs> to eat, we're playing Bible. <laughs> okay, we uh, uh, let's see, we're oh
0: yeah, mortification as a neglected theological topic. It's all over in the old theologians that we as Christians mortify the flesh, but we don't talk about it at all anymore. You hardly hear anybody ever discussing mortification of the flesh. So I'm going to read a paragraph from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. This is starting in 45, and I, I want to get your reaction to this. Say, Of the mortification of the flesh and the discipline of the body, we thus teach, just as the Confession states, that a true and not feigned mortification occurs through the cross and afflictions by which God exercises us when God breaks our will, inflicts the cross in trouble. In these, we must obey God's will, as Paul says, Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, these are spiritual exercises of fear and faith. But, in addition to this mortification, which occurs through the cross, which does not depend on our will, there is also a voluntary kind of exercise necessary, of which Christ says, Luke 21.34, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. And Paul, 1 Corinthians 9.27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, etc. And these exercises are to be undertaken, not because they are services that justify, but in order to curb the flesh, lest satiety may overpower us, render us secure and indifferent, the result of which is that men indulge and obey the dispositions of the flesh. This diligence ought to be perpetual,
1: because it has the perpetual command of God. Hmm. So I listened to part of that, and um, I think what... <laughs> I was looking for a buzzword. Um, uh so this this is the thing that we ought to uh try to not sin and in fact even sin less. Uh is that a fair sum, summation? Even
0: yes, but even before that the, the so to, it's to recognize that our sinful flesh has certain desires yeah. and that those desires that which we call concupiscence um can be uh they they can be fed or they can be fought against. They can mm-hmm. be uh, treated peacefully or treated with vigor. And there's there's another passage I was looking at in the Lutheran Confessions, and it talks about how we extinguish concupiscence. So it, so these sinful desires of the flesh are understood to be like little fires, and through various things, mortification of the flesh, we in fact douse those desires. We 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 extinguish the, the, those sinful desires. Mm-hmm. And the chief among these would be fasting, various kinds of suffering, uh, pr- purposeful affliction. Pastor Ketchelmeyer pointed out that in Luther's Freedom of a Christian, when he gets to the to the love part, to the good works part, he, he, Luther starts and says the first part of good works is that we mortify the flesh. It, you know, we normally say good works serve the neighbor, but well, that's true. But but even Luther says there's a category of good works before that, and that is that we we put to death our sinful desires, we put to death our flesh so that we don't sin as much as we want to. We don't follow our desires. We don't just do what the sinful flesh says, but we're able to say, hey, no, that's a false desire. I'm not going to do that thing. But instead, I'm going to do this other thing.
1: Yeah. And I think this is good, too, because um, this this happens um, in connection, in conjunction with uh, the means of grace, right? So um, I think what has been difficult for some people today to deal with is that um, here, we, we, here we have preachers who make the heart and center of their preaching this mortification of the flesh to which that is all that a hearer ever hears is that I need to, you know, change my life of, of, uh, of sinning and here are some, some ways to do it. And um, the problem with, with that is this that we we only hear of the law in our sin, and it's never found as its solution in Christ. Uh, I suppose, however, there is a problem in which that we uh, reduce all talk of of the law to be a matter of our own sin before God. And then to say um, that there is no need for, as you say, mortification. And uh, all you got to do is then uh, go hear about Jesus. And um, I, I think I think um, making those categories is probably an error. I think the better way to, to understand this is that yes, we confess our sins, yes, we are always sinners before God, and need uh, the preaching of Christ and need the means of grace. As the solution to that sin. And at the same time, the new creation uh, wages war against those uh, desires of the flesh. And so it's not as if I just sit back, relax in my lazy boy and say, um, you know, sinful desire has, uh, has nothing to do with me because... I confess my sins and receive absolution. It's that, no, now I pick up the war. I, I, I do whatever I can to avoid sin, and that's part of the Christian life. Agreed. Oh, okay. So I should probably come up with a buzzword then. I, I have this uh, little Reformed website that I'm looking at. has some nice terms, and here's a good one. Uh, I don't know if I've heard it uh, phrased this way, but I know exactly what it is. King James only-ism. <laughs> King James only-ism. So that'll probably work into your natural uh, flow of conversation, King James only talk about only-ism. that all the time. Uh, this is the perspective that the King James version of the Bible is the only uh, uh, inspired, uh, authorized version. Now, um, I think King James is a great translation, um, uses a great you know source and all of this for translation but uh, we have to understand that 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 any translation is a work of scholarship and that could be good or bad scholarship and there's been a lot of scholarship in uh, biblical uh, translation and uh, what do they call that uh, manuscript work uh, uh, to since 1611 when the King James Bible was written. Um, so we're constantly finding more manuscripts. And the more manuscripts that we find, uh, the more evidence this gives us to a biblical text. So it helps us understand um, maybe the authenticity of of uh, this verse or that verse. Not that any discovery is groundbreaking, life-changing, doctrine-altering, or anything like that. But it always gets us a little bit closer uh, to the original. And so um, those who would hold to a King James-only ism, Um, uh, say that the King James Bible is the only translation that we ought to use, which is um, uh, not grounded in any kind of a uh, scriptural defense at all, because it's not as if Jesus in Matthew 28 said, Go, therefore, and read the King James Bible, right? That is going to be the first segment of Table Talk Radio when we get what? back from this break. I know. You, did, that did we cut the segments down to like three minutes we, this year? We wasted, we squandered the whole first segment in my brilliant dialogue. And we'll be right back. Table Talk Radio.
0: Squandered. Squandered. Squandered.
1: This is Table Talk Radio. You
0: have been warned. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast.
1: Well, the good news is you only have to endure three more segments of Table Talk Radio, and we'll start out by going to our phone system. You can give us a call anytime, day or night. Pastor Wolfman will be there to answer your call, undoubtedly, if you call 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800. Why do you just give everybody your
0: cell phone number?
1: I'll give you your cell phone number. Text 303. Nah. <laughs>
0: I assume you your phone number. No, I don't
1: actually even know what your cell phone number is. Like, I don't know anyone's. One Let's of the one of the joys of getting married is that um, my that Mandy finally learned my phone number. For the longest time, she had no <laughs> idea what my phone number was. But we don't we don't have to memorize phone numbers anymore, right? It's all right there in our phone, and that's true. Right. Uh, it's so. true. But I have remembers remember. Sorry, <laughs> try that again. I have memorized one phone number, and that is one eight hundred three eight five sola. See, it's so easy because all I gotta do is remember that Latin word for only, uh, or what'd you say, alone, <laughs> and uh, and. And How do you say it? How do you say that? How do you say alone, alone. <laughs> 385 although Pastor Wolfmuller is still yet to memorize that phone number. But anyway, if you if you give, right. give us a call, we to... might respond to your message like this. Hello the Table Talk Radio hosts, I'm listener Rebecca from Florida. I have a question for the Reverend Brian Wolfmuller. You've made comments before about Martin Luther's use of the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory as Luther on the way To yet fully fleshing out the distinction of law and gospel, which is why you're not a fan of using that terminology, if I understand what you've said before in the past correctly. Hashtag not a fan. That would mean, however, (laughs) that Luther had not yet fully arrived at his understanding of the law and the gospel when he wrote the 95 Theses, since he wrote the 95 Theses before the Heidelberg Disputation. Excellent. May you please explain further and make your case for why you say that Luther had not yet arrived at his fully formed understanding? of the law and the gospel when he wrote the 95 theses thanks so much for the podcast all right so is there anything in the 95 theses that would tell us that luther um is understanding the terms uh, or the categories of law and gospel um you know so both in heidelberg which is 1518 and 95 theses which is
0: october 1517 we see luther on the way uh, there is a reason that the 95 Theses and the Heidelberg Theses, neither one are included in our Christian Book of Concord, because they are not yet um, Lutheran. I mean, they're they're coming along. Now, one of the important things to consider is w- when we date the so-called Tower experience of Luther, the, when he talks about this. Now, the reason this is important, a couple of reasons, but when, oh, later, like 1542, Three or something. They were publishing the edition, uh, the Latin edition of Luther's works, and he wrote a preface to it in which he tells the story of how he discovered the gospel, and it's in the context of the Ninety-five Theses and all these other debates. So he was on his way. So you can you can read early Luther. I mean, his commentary on Romans, which is what fifteen fifteen, some of the commentaries on the Psalms already in fifteen twelve, and you can see. You can see this clarity of the gospel and justification and law and gospel. You can see it developing. You can see it coming along. Now, uh, it becomes fully formed in his major reformation writings of 1520 uh, and 21 so on the freedom of the Christian, for example, where law and gospel is articulated very, very clearly. So there's this there's this kind of time of 10 years there where where it's taking shape, but it has not fully taken shape now um this is another thing that my arch enemy pastor Ketchmar, and i have been arguing about since we were in germany this last summer about when the tower experience should be dated i am can i was convinced but I've, I've maybe loosened up a little bit i was convinced that a reading of luther's account of it would date the tower experience between the publication of the Heidelberg Theses and the publication of the explanation of the 95 Theses. So late winter, or maybe even spring, 1518, um, uh, or, or sometime in there. Pastor Ketchelmeyer has pushed me back earlier because some of the things that Luther says in his discovery of the gospel, you can you can actually see in his Romans commentary that was written, I believe, in 1515 or 1516 so anyway the, the the exact date of that is um, is not a hundred percent clear like it used to be even in my own mind but um but this means that when we read the ninety five theses and when we read the Heidelberg theses let me just say this that we should be careful when we read those. The Heidelberg theses has some wonderful stuff in it, I mean just phenomenal and great stuff to think about you know when when Luther says that. a a mortal sin is any sin considered venial, and a venial sin is any sin that we consider mortal. I mean, that is really great, you know? That's fantastic uh, stuff. And so, uh, you know, there's some helpful things. But I do think we need to be careful about this language of the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. Number one, because, again, Luther was not quite on law and gospel yet. And number two, that the way that that language is used today is different it itself than the way that Luther used it. I mean, no, what do you... and So I'll, let me toss this back to
1: you, Evan. What do you think most people mean today when
0: they say theology of the cross?
1: Well, I've commented on this before, and I <clears throat> I, I wonder if it isn't just a matter of a label to, art, to articulate a different way of thinking theologically. So I think that a lot of people um, w- will... Will be thinking theologically in the same realm. Will be thinking in uh, natural terms. So that if uh, if I want the the raise at work, I have to uh, work hard for that raise, and that is right, and that's true. Uh, but the thing is, is that God doesn't work on that same um, realm. That that uh, our great best efforts are as filthy rags, Isaiah says. So that um, that there is even though i mean most christians would agree with with that notion that our our good works don't merit anything before god yet de facto what a lot of christians hear from the pulpit week after week is do this you know uh behavior modification uh the tips of becoming a better father and and they're bombarded with um this uh expectation that you are to be a more fully devoted christ follower week after week that de facto what's happened in my uh, church going is that I'm being told uh, what to do before God all the time and so when that's the life that some people have lived and then come into a understanding of law and gospel to realize that my uh weekly diet from the pulpit is that of what Christ has done for me rather than what I am to do for God it brings about a whole new way of thinking theologically and i think people like a label to put on that and a convenient label is the theology of the cross versus theology of glory even if i i might be completely wrong because there's a whole lot more underneath the uh the you know the terms theology of cross versus theology of glory but i think that's why people gravitate towards it
0: i think so too
1: and i'm not sure that
0: but it it and it
1: doesn't it's just not enough. It doesn't get there. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it is it, it is profound for people to realize that you know. Um, I mean, because otherwise we think suffering that I endure in this life is is bad, and that's the end of it. But what the theology of the cross brings to us and delivers to us is that God uh, works through suffering, and that's maybe something that's somewhat unique. Um to a discussion of theology of the cross that just plain old law gospel doesn't deliver deliver to us
0: right that's right so Luther will talk uh, he he so this language of theology of cross versus theology of glory it, um for Luther it's a way of getting around um it's how God reveals himself to us it's it's a it's a matter it's a way of addressing the scholastic theology that wants to see God in his in his unveiled glory through the exercise of reason whereas theology of the cross means taking god as he reveals himself to us so for luther it's more of a kind of a theological approach um uh, so, so so that's so, so that's one thing but the other thing is that um luther will talk he, he so he abandons that language he never uses it again once he talks about law and gospel or grace and promise he never goes back to theology cross theology of glory but he will always talk about crosses how the christian bears their crosses so we have a we have a we have a cross theology or we have a doctrine of suffering that's probably what what people mean to be talking about when they use that language but it's just uh, it doesn't match with the original context of things and the original context is in such a place in history that we shouldn't be kind of grabbing onto that in its fullness anyway so those are my cautions about that and i mean it, it's
1: fine but that's my caution. Kind of interesting as you've been talking I've been kind of looking through the 95 theses. I have to say it's not a document that I am uh I mean I've read them before but I'm not real familiar with them. And trying to look look do we see uh the law gospel distinction in the 95 theses? And I suppose we see it here and there but really what the 95 theses is or are <laughs> um uh, as a document what it is or what the theses collectively are, <laughs> is uh, that, um, a, a a rebuttal or a, a point of discussion on the matter of indulgences. So, um, like here, number 36, I think you can start to see law gospel here, but it's really a critique on indulgences. Number 36, any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without indulgence letters. Um, so so here he's saying, look, the, the remission of sins is found uh, for the person who is repentant. Um, but this is, again, saying it has nothing to do with letters of indulgence. You see, the, the, the amazing thing about the 95 Theses uh,
0: is um, that, that, that it's, Luther's not arguing that the problem with indulgences is that there's not enough gospel there. He's arguing that the problem with indulgences is that it it blunts the preaching of the law. And if you think that you can just get out of your sins by paying a little indulgence,
1: then you don't understand God's wrath and holiness. It's more about the law than the gospel. Interesting. When don't you take a break? You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Stay tuned.
0: For those times when you just want to be alone, this is Table Talk Radio. Hey. Daily devotions for your family around the word is found at what does this mean.org.
1: Welcome back to table talk radio we are try to clear out some of our inbox emails and we found this one laying around it says take it forever by the way <laughs> yeah. maybe just maybe don't why do we keep telling people to send us emails because this is kind of a hassle that's true don't send us emails in fact we'll just cancel the address s- just s- leave s- us alone in s- fact if you guys all stop listening this whole thing would be a lot simpler yeah that's true I'll tell you what if you want to send us an email <laughs> Send it to file thirteen at tabletalkradio.org, <laughs> Recycle bin at tabletalk. Well, that's table talk radio. <laughs> that's a, Don't we have it set up that the Calvinist emails go straight to that? That's true. Yeah. Oops, we weren't supposed. to. Anyway, all right. Here's an email. It's, uh, says it says, "Going deeper with the their emails center. are not chosen." <laughs> hey, hey, that's what it feels like, Calvinists. <laughs> It says, love it. Pastors, Wolfmuller, and Gigline. I started listening to Table Talk Radio about a year ago after hearing it mentioned every time Pastor Wolfmuller was on issues, etc., and I've really enjoyed it. That's surprising. Wow. In, wow. in the almost year <laughs> since I've started listening, I've gone through all the regular episodes at least once, uh, though I have a dozen or so oh. table scraps that I haven't yet listened yet uh, that's a that's a pretty catchy name. We should do some more of that stuff. We should. Oh,
0: hey, I did resolve. By the way, speaking of New Year's resolutions, resolve to try to do a called by the gospel
1: once a month this year. We'll see if we can do it once a quarter at least. <laughs> so wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you set the 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 bar intentionally high if your are in year's resolutions so that the the middle will will be what you really want to accomplish? Yeah, that's right. So it's if like you eight... aim high. <laughs> So if your resolution is to lose 10 pounds, I have resolved this year to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> that's like it's like people who adjust their clock 5 minutes
0: fast so they so they get to places on time. Uh-huh. It's like well, that only works if you don't know your clock is fast. I know. So they know their clock is I know. That that's always know. been a thing
1: for me too. I knew
0: someone that they kept a 100 bucks in their checking account that they didn't put on the thing just in case they overdrafted, but then they'd I'd be like, wait, hey, look, you have negative for forty bucks here, and they're like, ah, oh, I got
1: an extra hundred buffer. Look like, what well, if you know that if right. you
0: know it, it doesn't.
1: I know, but see what happens is that is anyway. yeah, if you know your clock is fifteen minutes fast, and you go, eh, uh, I'll, I'll 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 waste five minutes. Well, if uh, you're showing some discipline, and you might as well just have an accurate clock. Anyway, my question is regarding to the praise song cruncher. For background, my parents grew up in the. A-F-L-C, and my family attended an A-F-L-C church for a while when I was younger, but when I was maybe six or seven, my parents decided to stop attending and start having church, in quotations, at home. So pretty much every time you have had a song for the Praise Song Cruncher that you go, This is more of a song for the radio. I don't know that it's actually used in a praise worship song. I go, yep, my family has sung that numerous times in, quote, worship on Sundays over the years. While my parents' theology is still sort of Lutheran, looking back now, I can see that my theology growing up was pretty much non-denominational evangelicalism growing up, um, which leaned more towards Calvinism in college due to several Calvinist podcasts I started listening to on the recommendation of Friends. Oh, those Calvinists. Man, Thank you. Calvinist. <laughs> These Calvinists, there's so many podcasts. It's like weeds. Thankfully, he it's says. Like you get the Calvinist weed killer and it doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work on the podcast. <laughs> I've been spraying the radio. Anyway, um, thankfully, I came across issues, et cetera, when looking for a comparison of Reformed and Lutheran theology as I was moving out on my own after graduating college and God has since used Issues Etc. and then Table Talk Radio and other Confessional Lutheran podcasts to bring me to the solid scriptural theology found in Confessional Lutheranism. I've since joined an LCMS church, and while I have issues with the contemporary music that is used in the later services, I get solid law gospel preaching, and the early service uses a liturgical format with traditional hymnody. As I grew older, I started to become uncomfortable with the of uh, modern praise and worship contemporary Christian music, but couldn't fully understand why. The Praise on Cruncher has helped me to understand the reason why those songs bother me and helped me to become more discerning while I listen to, quote, Christian music. Do you have any recommendations on books on which to delve deeper into the issues with contemporary music and the mysticism and the lack of truth and theology involved? I've been discussing with this with my parents and younger siblings and want to be able to adequately and correctly respond when they come back against my criticisms with questions like, well, if someone says that this music brings them closer to Christ because it brings them to an emotional high, how can you say that that's wrong? And, well, Martin Luther said everything, in a, Christian, uh, everything a Christian does is sacred, so why not use these songs? Let's uh, maybe stop there and give you a chance to respond. Uh,
0: I, I think that we have talked about this email before. Have I either read this email, which doesn't seem possible, or that we actually talked about it before online? Because didn't I resolve to make a promise to write? Didn't we talk about how instead of writing a book, it needed to
1: be a magazine because the contemporary music changes so often? <laughs> That's possible. My New Year's resolution was to read every email twice, which is <laughs> see. The, here's the, but I, I bet you my
0: response to it will be totally different now that we're in the new year. Oh, that'd be interesting. So let's try. I now one of the things that's very interesting is that. Uh, so one of the things that you and I are up to, Evan, you know, with this table talk radio thing, is we want to we want to um, engender um, uh, discernment. So that, so that we, we want to, you know, the, this is part of the reason why we play the game is that, so that we, um, as they play the games is that people, as they play along, can just so, so they can see how how you're to think of a thing and to look at a thing and to respond to a thing, um, and this is, what, uh, so once you see it, you can start to do it yourself. That this is this the point here, so that, um, once people start to see. Um, the The problem, the mysticism of the praise song, you know, it's it, then you see it everywhere. It's like the, one of those phenomenons where when you say something, um, you know, you've never heard a word before, but then someone defines the word mortification. Or now and now, when you are reading the book, you are reading the Bible, or you are reading um, uh, the Book of Concord, you you are going to see that. Everywhere mortification comes up absolutely everywhere. So, so uh, you know, so it is with this that we um, uh, we we want to uh, sort of highlight these things, and then you start to s- you start to see it everywhere. You start to see mysticism, and you start to you start to identify it for what it is, uh, and you can see the dangers of it. Um, so I don't. I I was trying to figure this out: how to write a book about the praise song cruncher, or how to write a book about discernment but for some reason it just it seems like the podcast works better because you, because it's almost it's not something it's almost uh, discernment is almost like a contagion to where you just start to 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 read and think critically about about the things that you see the things that are presented to you uh, and i think that's really the thing that we're after you know does that make sense
1: yeah and i think maybe you've you've responded to this conceptually but uh to these specific things so uh, his family member says um, you know if if someone says that they're drawn closer to Christ because of the song how can we say that that's that's wrong and i and i think uh, the thing that we want to be able to use our discernment for is um is, is it actually a good thing that this person says that they're closer to Christ if they aren't actually closer to Christ. In other words, just because someone says that they are doesn't mean they actually are. So as a as a outrageous example, if someone says, um, I get closer to Christ, or I feel closer to Christ when I use marijuana, w- would we then conclude that, who are we to say that they shouldn't be using marijuana because, after all, they feel closer to Christ? And the question that we should be asking is, is in fact the person being closer to Christ when they use marijuana, and we have to say, well, no, that's maybe, if anything, a perception they have in their, uh, in their mind altered state, but it's not actually true. So the question that we ought to be analyzing is not, you know, who are we to question, but uh, how do we know that we're actually closer to Christ? And I think right, that, right, what, right. The, what the what Praise Song Cruncher was trying to point out was that our emotions are an inadequate, uh, in fact, even a deceiving measure to determine our proximity to Christ.
0: Did you see this article I wrote? I, I published it on the World Wide Wolf a few weeks back, and it's called The Ministerial Versus the Magisterial Use of Emotions. I heard about that. Uh, I, and I'm I'm pushing at that. Uh, In that article also, because what because what I want to say is that we don't want to dismiss emotions uh, altogether, but we want to we want them to be in their proper place. Namely, we want them to be servants. Uh, We don't want them to be the Lord's so that uh, so that what the question that you're asking there is just perfect, perfect question. And that is to say, um, how do I know if something is feeling closer to Christ? a proper way to make a judgment of a thing or not and we'd have to say no no it's in fact it's not um, because the scriptures are given to us to make judgments not our emotions and in fact the scriptures stand in judgment over our emotions
1: right now uh, you have just about 20 seconds to respond Martin Luther said everything a Christian does is holy go
0: uh, that's true. I mean, holy by faith, um holy by the forgiveness of sins, but that doesn't mean that we're sinning. I mean, you, you so you don't it doesn't you, you so Luther would never say just because you, you're because you're a Christian and your whole life is holy that doesn't mean you go out and commit murder and that's going to be good. No. I mean, the holiness of Christ is still defined by the scripture and we rejoice that we're forgiven. But we don't use that as, that as an excuse to sin.
1: Right. So there's still some, again, discernment with God's Word to be employed in, uh, in, in all of that. All right. right. Uh, let's see. I think when we get back, we're going to be talking about the attributes of Scripture. Stay tuned. Table Talk Radio. Is this, is this the worst of our bomb? No. Table Talk Radio where the voice crying in the wilderness
0: is the listener. The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out.
1: All right, we're back. And still digging through the email inbox, reading every email at least twice. This one from Dave and Kathy. Regarding show 399, can you tell us the reference you use for the six attributes of Scripture discussed on your show? We have used this podcast as a Bible study but would like to read directly from your source on the attributes for deeper discussions, reference, and understanding. Okay, so I'm going to go through these attributes of Scripture, and you give us a biblical reference for each one. The first one is inerrancy. Where do we go to to discuss that the Bible is without error?
0: Well, the fir- the chief text—so fir- isn't the first one inspiration? Okay, inspiration. The chief text for inspiration <laughs> is, is, and this is in fact going to be the thing that governs our understanding of inerrancy and infallibility, is uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, corrup- for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So uh, that the scripture is theopanoimatas is the beautiful Greek word I think used there, God breathed, God spirited. Um, inspired by God, we say, in the King James-only-ism tradition. And so that is going to be the fountainhead of a lot of these things. Well done. Um, hey, thank you. Um, So that's going to be the start. And I'm, by the way, I, I pulled up just to pull a bunch of scrip- scriptures. I, I have this Outlines of Doctrinal Theology by Augustus Lawrence Graebner. Do you have that thing? No. I've got it, I just downloaded it on Google Books, so I got it on my tablet, and it just goes, it has an outline of of dogmatic theology, and then it just has the scripture references there, blam, 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 uh, one after another after another. So he uses slightly different categories for, so he has the authority of the scripture to start with, um, and then... Um, uh, and then it has kind of a bunch of categories under that, so I'll have to sort through these because he uses slightly different attributes. But this is a handy little thing, so if you want a reference that has a Bible study, you can go and download this book for free on Google Play. Again, it's uh, Augustus Lawrence Graibner, uh Outlines of Doctrinal Theology on Google Books, and it has
1: tons of Bible passages here. So that's what I'm I'm pulling some of these from. So do we use the uh second Timothy. T- I mean obviously one flows from the other, but do we use the Second Timothy text to uh not only defend infallibility but also to defend uh, inspir- uh sorry um, we use it to defend inspiration, but do we also use it to defend inerrancy and infallibility, or are there other texts that would be more applicable for those second two
0: yeah so um so they derive from that, but there are other texts as well so let 's see so the difference between inerrancy and infallibility is um the uh inerrant means no errors and infallible means cannot err and so the best for the infallibility is the text in john i'm, I'm flipping around to try to f- see it uh and it says that uh, god who cannot lie um so so for example uh john 8 is one text john 8 uh, 45 it says i tell you the truth Uh, This is how Jesus, he always speaks the truth. And there's another great passage in John, I'm going to find it as I flip through here, where it says, the Lord cannot lie. That's where we get infallibility. Um, And then uh, as far as uh, inerrancy, um, uh, we have, let's see here. second Peter one this also has to do with inspiration second Peter one nineteen we have a more sure word of prophecy, which you do well to take heed a little bit beyond that you have the text from uh where he talks about how all the prophets uh were inspired by the Holy spirit uh and then we also have the John seventeen text where jesus says um uh uh, uh I pray that they may be one and then he says your word uh that they may be one in your word and then he says your word is truth. Why can I ca- these texts are not right. Sorry. I thought I had these a little more uh organized than I do but apparently I don't. Okay. So That's okay. Keep going. Okay. They're going to shake out here pretty quick.
1: All right. So so uh even though we would understand inerrancy and infallibility on the basis that it is inspired because God cannot speak lies um we have that witness to us throughout scripture about the the truthfulness of what god says um mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the, the other attribute um is the aha uh-huh. okay
0: here so here's another one so john 10:35 scripture cannot be broken mm. uh psalm 119 verse 160 thy word is true from the beginning psalm 119:140 thy word is very pure therefore thy servant loveth it so, so there's a couple for also for
1: inerrancy and infallibility. Very good. All right, and then there's the clarity, and this is the assertion that um, the Bible is communicated to us in human language. It's objectively understandable. It engages the rules of grammar and human reason, so that uh, it is um, comprehensible. It's not in this kind of a secret code that that is. Uh, above human understanding where do we understand Mm -hmm. that from the scriptures so i got a long list here this is great so the chief text here is going to be psalm 119
0: 105 thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path psalm 119 verse 130 the entrance of thy word giveth light and gives understanding to the simple again for uh, second peter 119 we have a more sure word of prophecy uh, where you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawns Psalm 119, verse 8, The statutes of the Lord are are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, how about this? Ephesians 3, 3 and 4, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's a beautiful one. John eight thirty one: again, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Um... 2 Corinthians 4, an interesting text, verses 3 and 4. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, also, 2 Peter three fifteen and 16, where it talks about Paul, how some things are hard to understand, the unlearned tw- twist, etc., um, but this is... How
1: he this is this equation of the apostles with the word of God. That's also an important text. Okay, the next one is the sufficiency of Scripture. This is the teaching that uh, if God has given us His holy Word, then we need not look to any other source for divine revelation. That God has given us His Word, and that is enough for us. It's sufficient. Um, I have a, have I, have a I have a narrative text I like to go to all the time, but I want to hear first the text that you have, and then I'll see if it covers the one I have in mind. Sure. So
0: Isaiah 820, to the law, to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. 2 Timothy 3.16 quoted before, but then verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for all good works. And then uh, Luke 16, which is the... Um, the Lazarus and the rich man, that might
1: be your narrative. Yep, that was the one. If they
0: hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. That's verse 31.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the rich man is wanting uh, his brothers to have a source of divine truth that is other than the word of God, and the Lord won't have it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, there's the uh, efficacy of Scripture, that God's word is there powerful is and creates
0: realities. This is a great list. Romans one i I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all that believe. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, the word of God which you heard of us, you received not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Boy, that's mm. a good one. Ephesians 3, again, You re- when you read, you may understand. Acts 8, this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm. Um. This is great, uh then uh let's see first thessalonians one five Our gospel came not unto you in word only but also in power in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance, as you know what manner of men you were, we were among you for the lord's sake uh psalm nineteen eight again, the Lord's word is uh, right, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes uh psalm one nineteen uh one o five and one thirty uh, also are mentioned again, first Peter, second Timothy. Then how about this? Revelation one three. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep the things that are written in them. The time is at hand. Um, and then, uh, and then John seven seventeen. A, a particularly important text uh, for me. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it's of God or whether I speak it myself. Well, there you go.
1: So those are the texts for the efficacy of the Lord's Word. Well, the bad news is, is that we don't have time to do some uh, church sign and beverage theology, but I will read for you, um, Pastor Wolf Miller, the church sign of all church signs. that I love this. That does not appear on a church, uh, but it is on a sign. <laughs> um, and it was emailed to us March twenty fourth, two 2015 <laughs> by I it. Fort it Wayne something- Vicar. Yeah. So some uh presumably pastor a pastor now no yeah. doubt <laughs> anyway it it appears on a game room gallery that sign marquee says only the mediocre are always at their best <laughs> I, could, I do not know why we do not have that as a shirt <laughs> he says uh okay this isn't a church sign but it screams table talk radio <laughs> only the mediocre are always at their best Tis true. That is the most fantastic thing I've ever heard, and maybe the moniker That's like of this show. More beautiful than Aesop. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Table That's Talk true. Radio. I just can't get over that. That wisdom. That table talk radio. Wisdom, Thanks
0: for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Always table Talk best. Radio is not for everyone.
1: Please consult your pastor before to listening to Table by. Talk Radio. Side <laughs> effects may include nausea, <laughs> vomiting, hair psychosis, yeah. coma, death,
0: yeah. aliphosis, yeah. cancer, so brain tumors, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat,
1: claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.